Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the 40-Year Coach Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Excited to bring on our guest today, Kim English. But before we get to the coach, just want to remind you that we'd love for you to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe. Do it right now. You don't want to miss some of the incredible episodes we've got coming up. Also, if you don't have an iPhone, we're available on Spreaker or on iHeartRadio. And you can always check us out at 40yearcoach.com. Now on to our guest. Kim English is one of the fastest rising stars in the coaching community. And before he became a coach, he won a school record 107 games in four years at Missouri, leading the team to four straight NCAA tournament appearances. He was also the most outstanding player in the 2012 Big 12 tournament and played in the NBA for the Detroit Pistons. He's currently an assistant coach at Colorado. In May, he was named as a National Association of Basketball Coaches Under Armour 30 Under 30 honoree and is one of the first names you'll hear when you ask those in the College Hoops community about which assistant coach will be the next head coaching star. Kim English, welcome to the 40-Year Coach Podcast. Adam, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Kim, I, I have to tell you that you were one of the first names that came up when we were discussing having guests for season one of the 40-Year the Coach Podcast. So I'm, I'm really pumped to, uh, to speak to you. Um, I want to take it back to the to the early life. Born in Baltimore, September 24th, 1988. Um, early on, I, I, I've read that you had stuttering problems, which is incredible to me because or to anyone that's heard you give interviews um, or speeches. Um, can you tell me what what that time in your life was yeah. like as a child and dealing with with some stuttering issues? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess theoretically I still do. Um have a stutter uh, just as I've grown I've developed um, different strategies and mechanisms that help me um, cope better and, and speak more clear um, and fluently um, but yeah I mean I was I was a kid that had a, a speech impediment a, a stutter and um, I had speech pathologists growing up but um, Baltimore public school system speech pathology department doesn't lead the nation. I don't know if you guessed that, but <laughs> so it really didn't help me much then. Um, but as I got to college, um, as I started to do more research on my own um, tr through trial and error of just doing 
doing interviews or talking to my team, um, I developed some strategies that, that, that helped me speak a little better. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not cured by a long shot, but I have a pretty good grasp on it. And I, um, try to help young kids with this stutter any, any chance I get. You know, it's really remarkable when you talk to different people who have found success in all walks of life. Um, but certainly in, in basketball, um, it, you come to find out that so many of them dealt with adversity at, at a young age and found a way to, to overcome it. Um, you know, we, we spoke to Dick Vitale and, and he told us about, you know, being, being teased as a, as a boy, uh, um, and, and bullied because of, um, you know, his eyesight issues. And, and mm -hmm. there's so many, there's countless stories, but I'm interested from your perspective, how did the game of basketball and the relationships you had at, at that time, how did they impact what, what you were dealing with and, and eventually what helped you overcome? Well, growing up, um, before basketball ever became um, a thing in my life, just playing outside, uh, like cracking jokes on one another or who was the funniest or, or fights or like that was the game. And for a guy that had a girl name, I mean, my name's Kim, and stuttered, like I was the butt of a lot of jokes, you know, as a kid. And kids can be cruel, but it makes you, you, you tougher, I think. Um, and yeah, that was tough. I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I know bullying is a big emphasis and in initiative. Now I wouldn't call it bullying. I just call it kids being kids. But truth is I did have a girl name and I stuttered. So it, it, it was a lot of laughter um, directed um, at me. But when basketball became an issue, it was something I kind of gravitated to, worked hard at and got good at pretty quickly. I started playing at a late age, well, 13. Um, I started playing it at 13 and I got good quick. So th the jokes kind of stopped because <laughs> if you were a kid that was joking, but we get on the court, you know, now the joke's on you because I'm better than you. So basketball really helped with kind of the child's play, if you will, of growing up. Um, basketball kind of um, lessened the jokes a little bit. Now, I'm interested. You say you didn't play till you were 13, but I've read that your your father, Kim English Sr., played at Baltimore Community College. He's described himself as Charles Barkley with a jump shot. So it's pretty pretty impressive if if that's if that's the case. But how do you then not play ball till you're till you're 13 if your if your dad is a, is a really good player? Yeah, he was a a good player. Um um and um not shy about <laughs> uh, telling you how, how good he was, but yeah, he was all city growing up, and he played at Division Two Shaw University in North Carolina, and then transferred back to Baltimore. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I just, I just, I played everything as a really young guy. I mean, baseball, football, track, and then eventually basketball. How, uh, I, how much do you think that you know? Just spoke to Steve Kerr recently about the idea that kids today. Um, you know, don't play different sports and how that's had an impact. How, how do you see it now, especially since you're recruiting a lot of guys that only play one sport and have only played one sport since the time they're six or seven years old? 
Yeah, I mean that, that there's a rare occasion, rare occasion of a high level player, um, at least at our level, that, that that still plays multiple sports. Most of those guys usually are one sport guys, but um, I love the versatility of a kid growing up, giving a lot of different things a try. Um, I think any time you can put a young person, um, Bob Hill has been here with us the last. Uh, a few days he he recruited coach Boyle to Kansas and obviously was in the NBA for a long time but he said something this morning that I thought was great he said the essence of the game of basketball the thing that makes it great the reason we love it unconditionally is teamwork mm. teamwork is the essence of basketball i think t- and because it's teamwork i think any time any opportunity or chance that you have to be a, a part of a team you should do it um there's something to learn from it. There's something about the quest um, in pursuit of a championship. And I use a lot of other sport analogies in my coaching all the time. I mean, you know, when I'm telling our on-ball defenders to pressure the ball, I use the analogy of you've never seen a defensive line just stand up when a quarterback hikes the ball. Right. He's just not in the pocket with no pressure. If he was, that would really make it hard on the, the, the DBs. And in basketball, that's your off-ball defenders. So it, it, it's so many analogies throughout sport in our game. Um, so I love multiple uh, sport guys. I love it. I love it. You talk about teamwork. Uh, one of the stories I've heard about you is that when – when you were coming up and, and starting those early stages of your playing career, that you had the chance to play in adult league games with some former NBA guys, you know, famous Baltimore area yeah. guys, David Wingate, Muggsy Bogues. What can you tell me about, about it, that experience? It was the um, – it, it meant everything to, to my career. Um, I was talking to uh, – talking about that yesterday. I think that's kind of been lost – in our game right now, guys of trainers and workout guys and whatever. But yeah, I mean, just playing with my dad and his friends, guys that you wouldn't know. And some guys you might know, um, Marty Johnson and Sam Cassell and Mark Karcher and Keith Booth and Carmelo and Marcus Hatton and Muggsy. And like, hmm. that's where I learned to play. Um, and that's all we did was play. We didn't, I never had a trainer growing up. I never had a workout guy. Um, you know, I, I shot on my own and I shot with a friend and I played five on five, um, every day in the summertime. And that was, was huge in my development, um, growing up as a young player. What, what did you learn about the game from those guys? Well, um, as a young player, um, you learn that winning is important. Um, because now, well, at that time, there'd be 20, 25 people in a gym. So if you lose, you had to sit for a long time. So you, you, you quickly learn what you need to do to win. Um, and the only way you get picked up on a team is if you can um, do that. If you can do what it takes to win at a, a high level, that's the only way older guys, pros are going to pick you. Um and so, yeah, man, I mean, it taught you how to win, taught you how to, to be efficient. Um, you don't want to disappoint 
NBA players <laughs> if they allow you to be on that team. So I think in its simplest form, it just just, just taught us how to play the game. And it, I mean, it wasn't just me. It was Malcolm Delaney, who was with the Hawks last year. Dante Green played maybe four years in the league. Um, Dewan Summers, um, a lot of really good young players all playing with good older players. And it just has built a great bond of Baltimore basketball players. Um, even now, when I go home, I um, Rodney Elliott is another guy. Um, some really good, good players. Yeah, I mean, the the legend of some of those old school Dunbar teams you, you hear about. Um, I, I I can't imagine what what that scene was like, but I but I still am am curious. You know, uh, I think it was in the back page of a Slam magazine I'd read once about how Kenny Smith said you know, he'd go back to the neighborhood and, and try to explain to people how good NBA players were. And he said, you know, you see Steve Kerr on TV and you think you could take Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr will give you 50. Um, yeah. uh, Muggsy Bogues, what, what, what was it like to play with him? So Muggsy is um, really close to my dad. Um, they were, were almost best friends growing up. And so uh, when, when Muggsy was in Charlotte, They'd come and play the Bullets. We we drive down to DC and watch them play. Or if they were to play Philly, we go to a game. And um, again, just learning the game from the best. Um, I remember I was really young, maybe twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I was thirteen or fourteen, and um, it was just I mean, Muggsy had a cookout at his house, like a barbecue, and. Um, so I played um, played him just one-on-one on his driveway court. And he was kind of going through the motions, and, and I beat him. I beat him like six to one or something like that. And I'm a kid. He's an NBA vet. And I really thought I had just beat Muggsy Bogues. And I was like <laughs> talking about it and feeling really good about it. And um, the next day, we played pickup. It was at a middle school called Deer Park. And Muggsy came, and before we played five-on-five, five, him and I played one-on-one again. We checked it up, and he beat me 12 to nothing. I'll never forget it. And um, it was a quick lesson and one that he let me win. And, yeah, what you said about, about Kenny Smith, of how good pros really are. Um, even here in, at, at Colorado and and when I was at Tulsa, I mean, I wasn't a good NBA player by any by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I only played one year. I didn't score a lot of points. Um, but I haven't lost a game of one-on-one in four years of coaching, and it's not even close. So just kind of um, expressing that to our guys of how good you have to be to get there and, and, and more importantly, stick there. That's a, that's a great lesson. I love it. I love it. When, when, when you progress on and, and you go on to high school, um, Randallstown in Maryland, um, I think the one thing as I, as I look back at your, at your career is just the winning. I mean, the winning is something that, you know, uh, was part of, of your makeup and over and over again, you, you look back at your career and all you did was win. And, um, win state championships at, uh, at Randallstown in Maryland. And when you finish up your time there, um, you moved on to Notre Dame prep in, in Massachusetts and spent a year at the prep school. Um, you guys 
go to the semifinals, the National Prep School Invitational, your team MVP. Um, but I'm curious, what brought upon your decision to go to a prep school after finishing up high school? Um, I, uh, I didn't have a good enough SAT score um, mm. to, to qualify um, through the NCAA clearinghouse at the time. So I needed that extra year of prep to continue to try to work on my test score. And I did that. Um, and eventually got the, the score I needed. But um, in regards to winning, I, I, I think is the, the, the precipice of it is back to those games. Like, it was the, the first lesson I learned, if you, um, if you understand what I mean. It was sure. not, not shooting. It wasn't ball handling. It was, it was winning. It was the most important thing. It was um, what we took the most pride in. Um, and yeah, like I didn't really think about much else in the game. Um, and so, yeah, we did at, at high school and, and obviously I had really good teammates along the way. Um, two other division one guys at Randallstown and a slew of, of division one players in prep school. And then even in college, um, and in college, I think it was kind of a culture shift because when we committed to Missouri, they didn't do a lot of winning. We committed to a 16 and 16 team. Um, with a bunch of guys that had never been in the NCAA tournament. And um, I remember on my visit to Missouri, we got done playing pickup, and a bunch of the players, they were all seniors, so I knew they were leaving. They were all graduating. And um, But after pickup, they were in a locker room, and the guys were talking about, you know, who – outplayed who or remember this play I did this to you or I dunked on you or I made you fall and I just was I just thought that was such a small mindset of focus um and on a level of basketball as high as the big 12 and I wouldn't have went to Missouri if those guys were sophomores or juniors those guys were seniors and the sophomores and the juniors were the juniors were Damari Carroll and Matt Lawrence and Leo Lyons, some guys that kind of, I thought, had some good substance about themselves. And when we got there as freshmen, I made a major emphasis after we got done playing pickup. We all, this was before the time where we had the, your coaches could have contact with you in the offseason. So you were on your own. It was weights and it was, was pickup, was everything. And after we get, got done, our seven-game pickup series that we played every day, five days a week, the conversation around the water cooler in the locker room was about who won that seven-game series. Mm -hmm. That was it. Who won the seven-game series? And if, and if your team wasn't, wasn't a winner, then, then you should feel bad about yourself. If your team did win, you should feel really good about yourself. So I thought that was a really big paradigm shift in the culture at Missouri when we got there. And Damari was a big part of it. I mean, I think he was, 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 was sick of losing. And our freshman class, me and Marcus Denman and Lawrence Bowers, we had never lost. Um, so it was a good marriage of guys that were sick of losing and some new guys that had never lost. And um, it was great. We were 31 and seven. We won the Big 12 tournament. We went to the Elite Eight. Um, we lost to UConn in the um, the, uh, the 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 regional final. So um, yeah, and, and and I've tried to bring that mindset everywhere I've been as a coach thus far, um, 
be it at Tulsa and and and, and now here at at Colorado. And Kim, what's interesting is we hear that from guys sometimes. We hear about the idea of the 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 winning mentality, and I think um, the the competitive side is really interesting, specifically on a like game to game basis. And I'm I'm even talking in pickup for young players out there. Uh, you know, what does like this sounds ridiculous as a question, but I, I still think it never really gets specifically answered. What does winning look like? I mean, in the the, the makeup of it, what what are the the plays that that yeah. make up winning? What what does winning look like? Well, um, that's a great question. Um, I think it could be answered simple as um, the focus to win the possession. Like that's it. If your focus is just to get a stop on this defensive this defensive possession and you put all your focus, all your power and strength and ability into getting a stop on this possession, that's what winning looks like. If on offense, it's taking care of the ball, it's delivering perfect passes, it's thinking of your teammates more than yourself with the focus to get the best shot possible. Um, I think that's what winning looks like. Um, it's the, it, 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 it's, it's not the scoreboard at the end of the game. It's the battles won. If I'm quantifying possessions to battles, mm-hmm. that's what winning looks like. Villanova, I mean, they, I, I, I study winners at all levels in our game, in different sports, different coaches. And um, I have a friend, Matt Fraschilla, who's on staff at at a Villanova, and I just pick his brain constantly on what they emphasize and do. And their word is attitude. That's their team slogan, They're having a great attitude. And they chart what they call attitude statistics. This charges, deflections, good shot contests, block shots, offensive rebounds, tap backs, quick outlet passes after rebounds, and floor dots. Um, and they put that up in the locker room and they chart it. So guys at this level are really competitive. So if you see you're in the middle of the pack or you're winning or you're trailing, you have guys want to want to see their name get up on that chart, get higher on that chart. And now you have a team full of competitors competing to see who can contest the most shots, who can get the most offensive rebounds, who can outlet the ball quickly on, on rebound, who, who, who's leading the team at dives on the floor, who's leading the team at charges. That's maybe a better answer into what goes into winning those things. I love that. I love that. And look, you did, you were able to answer something I thought would be <laughs> somewhat difficult to, uh, to quantify maybe, but I think what's interesting is when you were at Missouri, obviously, you know, you did, as I mentioned, a ton of winning. Um, you talk about it. I mean, that, that freshman year going to the elite eight sophomore year, you guys win 23 games, junior year, win 23 games, but something else that I found interesting uh, in researching you. And that was, to read about 
uh, some of the struggles you had with your confidence your junior year and it, it was you're playing for Mike Anderson it's really remarkable to me to, to be reading about this because you know I, from afar people that have seen you I think think Kim English this confident player that always had exudes confidence and does all the little things to win as you as you just described that the Villanova does as well um Frank Haith said that when he was going back and looking at tape he would be your coach your senior year but but when he went back and started to look at your tape from your junior year he described it saying he didn't shoot the ball well because he was trying so hard then he lost confidence and it just kept mounting and mounting for him what was that period of of your career like yeah um we kind of lost our way a little bit as a program and it was a um and we still had enough talent to, and we still played hard, and we still won. We had a really good non-conference. We had a lot of really good wins, but we we, we faltered in, in 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 league play. I think we were 500 in the Big 12, and I think we ended up being the last team in the tournament. But um, we um, we had a team full of really talented players, and um, when you give a team freedom. Sometimes it's not a good thing um, because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're freedom, technically I can all, I can always make a play when I catch the ball. Like, yeah, technically I could go score. And we kind of lost our way of playing for and with each other. Um, and that's the team answer as to why we and I – and that's why we struggled. I struggled because – I started to get on NBA draft boards as a sophomore, Draft Express or Draft.net, whatever it may be. And, and I started kind of to lose my um, DNA of only focusing on winning. And I really started to care about that stuff and worry about that stuff. And just pure immaturity, not under, not really focusing on or understanding that that is so far out of my control in the current state of what we're doing, trying to win this game. And so, yeah, focusing on the wrong stuff hurt me. Um, us not playing to our best ability hurt me a little bit. And to other people's standards, it would have been a great season. <laughs> we we made it to the NCAA tournament. We lost in a first-round game to a really good Cincinnati team. And But to our standards, that wasn't the way we – played and we um we fixed that 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 off season we took a deep look at ourselves individually as a team um, coach Haith came and did wonders for our team well quite a bit to unpack there I, I appreciate your honesty in terms of you know recognizing that you know the draft sort of was looming and and thinking about you know yourself as an individual player rather rather than the team and I'm curious about that you know with with the young players that might be listening or uh, even for coaches. I'm curious now as a head coach or as a coach um, at the division one level, um, how much do you recognize it in, in guys, maybe not even on your own yeah. team, but on other teams and, and yeah. uh, how, how can you address it as a guy who went through it? Yeah, it's real. It, it, it's at this level, it's, it's real. And it's something I think you have to constantly address and educate your, your players, your best players on, um, and it's it hits all the time. I mean, I talked to one of our uh, players, McKinley Wright, about it 
all the time. And, and, and now it's even more because it's social media induced. Now it might not be a draft board. It might just be constant adulation and praise and clicks on, on social media. And um, so just trying to keep them focused on the present and understand that that's the most important thing. Um, you can kind of help them lose focus in the unimportant if you have them insanely focused on the daily, on the process. So with McKinley, it's we practice at 7.30 every morning here at Colorado. 7.30 a.m., we're on the floor. McKinley Wright, Shane Gatling, and Tyler Bay are on the court at 6.45 every morning going through individual workouts. They watch film after practice. Um, I'm constantly sending those guys articles about some of the best players in the world talking about their humility, their focus, um, their, 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 their commitment to the daily, to the process. And any chance I get, um, I just try to show our guys how the best players in the world behave on social media. Like Steph Curry is not retweeting every time someone says something good about him. Um, Jalen Brunson, who graduated from Villanova in three years and was a first round draft pick is not talking about how good he is on, on social media. Um, you know, so, so any chance I get to educate those guys, it could, it, it, it can, it, I may be wrong. It, it, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like consistent, constant reminders, um, is the best way to go in that regard, as opposed to keeping your team, keeping your best players focused on the task. And that's one, getting them to be better players. And two is winning the next game or probably flip those deals. One is winning the next game and two, them becoming better players. But I think those things go hand in hand. I think them becoming better players helps you win the next game. Well, and what's fascinating about all that is, there has to be an authentic nature to who you are as a coach because you take a guy like McKinley Wright, and for those that haven't seen him play or haven't seen him play a lot, I mean, it, I think as as good a, of a lead guard as there is in, in the country, and obviously his future yeah. super bright, and I hate to be counter to what you just said in terms of the humility, but obviously – No, that's incredibly- fine. So that's the thing that I tell him is other people – are going to talk about you and it feels good as a player. It feels good to have other people tell you how good you are, but like you don't have to, you don't have to be a, you don't have to promote yourself. Um, right. Right. But I was just going to say, but as the balance though, for a coach and speaks to, you know, the, the respect that your players have for you, the balance of a coach, because to say, Hey, don't buy into that when you know that there's professional basketball in, you know, and yeah, at, at, in his future. I mean, if you're yeah. not genuine, no, your message so, so you genuine. can't be fake with it, right? So, so you can't be fake with it. Like, it's, it's no, it's, it's, it's no sugarcoating. Players have a PhD in knowing if you're real or not. So, it's mm-hmm. like with McKinley, or let's just, let's just use him as an example. I'm like, don't be upset about not getting invited to a Nike Skills Academy over the summer. Or so what about the Bob Cousy watch list? Like, what does that really mean? Like, I'll straight tell him, like, 
Damian Lillard got $126 million. Like, What would you rather have? Mm-hmm. Would, would you rather be invited to the Nike Skills Academy? Or would you rather be on the preseason Bob Cousy list? Or would you rather have $126 million in, <laughs> set in six years? So I'm like, only focus on, like, focus on that. What does a watch list mean? What does a camp invite mean? Just focus on becoming the absolute best player you can be. Focus on winning as many games as you can possibly win. And then all the other stuff will just happen. And so, yeah, you're right. So it's like, I I don't not talk about it. I mean, it's real. I mean, mean, if, if I have a player that doesn't play well, and I had an honest talk with an NBA scout after the game. I'll tell him. I'll say, man, he, he says he wants to see you guard your position better. Like that, that, That's real conversations you got to have with, with guys. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I, it, again, I think it speaks to that authenticity that you have. And, and um, like you said, that players will see right through it every, every time. Yeah, um, at, at, as a player – when you know touched on it frank hate takes over from mike anderson um in 2011 he um anderson leaves in march and and hate takes over in in april it's pretty wild i mean that's going into your senior year you you talked about the team losing its way you talked about you as an individual you know it was tumultuous times anderson leaves here comes a new head coach what was that transition like for you personally? Well, I was fortunate enough. I, I, I knew, knew Coach Hay. He recruited me at Miami. I was actually going to commit to him at Miami um, on my visit. But my visit was like the weekend after Daquan Jones, and Daquan Jones committed before I could. So um, I knew Coach, and that kind of helped as far as my relationship with him. Um, the rest of our guys didn't, so he kind of had to – earn their respect but um he's a big he's had a huge impact on my coaching career um uh, mostly from a standpoint of authenticity with the players um it's so important you you have to live in the world of the truth kevin eastman likes to say live in the world of the truth and the only way you can be truthful with players um is if they know you love them and he did a great job of establishing his relationship with us early. And we knew he loved us and he could coach us as hard as he wanted to. He could be as real with us as he wanted to. He could say, Kemp, man, you're not a good ball handler. Just shoot the ball. I'd rather you shoot the ball than try to dribble it. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> just started shooting the ball. And, um, so he he did a great job of that, and then and, and then system wise, um, I think he's he's one of the best offensive coaches in the country. He implemented a four out one in spread pick and roll offense that year that um, really served us well and really um, did well in our league. The Big Twelve was a big physical league. We played four guards. We spread the floor out and had a lot of success. Um, according to Ken Palm, it was a the fifth best offense 
since Kim Pond's been tracking this stuff and adjusted offensive numbers. Um, so, yeah, he was a phenomenal coach. It's ridiculous. And I, I want to get to that four, four guard system that you guys were, were playing at the time. But but you hit on something that I'm really curious about. You, you said that when Frank Haith came in, he established that relationship, established that love. How did he do that part? Um, through walking a class with you on campus um, and just talking, talking to you on the phone late at night, um, having you over for dinner at his house, meeting his family. Um, he did something for me that was, was huge. And um, I'd always been a pretty good shooter, um, but he made me a great shooter. He made our film guy at the time, Brian Tabaldi, who was now an assistant at Cleveland State, one of my best friends. Brian clipped up every miss I had from the season before. And I just sit there in Coach Hape's office and watch every one of my missed shots. It was one of the hardest basketball things I've ever had to do, sit there and watch a hundred missed jump shots or whatever it may be, a drive, a terrible shot, a, you know, a contested look. And we critiqued him. We talked about every miss. Why do you think that didn't go in? That wasn't a good shot. Why do you think that didn't go in? I faded away. Why do why don't you think that go in? Uh, I wasn't shot ready. Why didn't that go in? Um, my balance was really bad. So after we sat down and, and unpacked all of that, we watched every make. Every make. And why did that go in? I had really good balance. Why did that go in? It was a really good shot, the extra pass. Why did that go in? It was the right play. And through this list we compiled, there was commonalities with the misses, and there were commonalities with the makes. And as we worked that spring and summer, it was stop doing the things you did when you missed and start <laughs> doing the things you did when you made shots. And I went from a, I think I was 39% as a freshman, 37 as a sophomore, 36 as a junior from three. And I was 47% from three as a senior. And um, it was a, it was one of the most profound things I've ever done as a basketball player in breaking down someone's game. That's amazing. Have you taken any players through the same exercise? Um, I've done it once. I've done it once. I, I did it with a kid at Tulsa, James, James Woodard. What's interesting, too, about that team, you guys end up going 30-5 and five, uh, your senior year. Um, Lawrence Bowers tears his ACL. Kadeem Green transfers. You guys had two post players, seven total scholarship players, and to then end up with, as you just described, uh, some of the best offense that we've seen in college basketball. Ken Palm's numbers uh, back that up. Um, school record 27 regular season wins. You guys win the Big 12 tournament. You're named uh, Big 12 tournament most outstanding player. Um, the the confidence level you were playing with and the style that you played with, how much were those sort of correlated, especially since you had to play, uh, even though you were playing offensively as a guard, you're playing that four out system. You still had to guard four men on the other end. Um, and you're guarding some, some post players um, every night. Uh, so how much, how much did that system work for you and, and, and get your confidence level up? Um, well, it's a, um, 
playing a guard at the four in college basketball. It's one of the best mismatches in college basketball. Um, the only thing better than that is playing a, a four at the five. Um, obviously, the ability to space the floor helps. I mean, I was being I was a shooting guard. I was drafted in the NBA to play the shooting guard, and I was being guarded by college four men. So from an offensive standpoint, it was really easy for me to get shots, to create space for us, to drive closeouts, to um, attack mismatches. Defensively, um, it's really just playing post-defense before the ball is entered and boxing out. Um, that's really it. If a college team thinks they're going to exploit a, a a big guard mismatch by posting up the guard, they're mistaken. One, college players aren't that good, um, comparatively speaking, to two NBA foremen. And, and, and two, it's probably not what you want to do offensively is to play post isolation offense all night um so if you have a guy that can work hard um play good defense off the ball front the post so that he doesn't have to get the ball in there and then secondly box out um you 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 find out that the 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 mismatch is is more oftentimes in your favor than it is the opponent's when you go small in college basketball. I'm, I'm curious to two things your senior year. One, that um, what, after you win the Big 12 championship, you told Holly Rowe of ESPN that, that you had spoken to the team before the championship game. Do you remember that speech, what you said to the team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that we had a, a great opportunity. And in life, that's all you can ever ask for is an opportunity. and. Um, and if you're prepared, um, if you're prepared, pressure really doesn't mean much. And um, I think that's what I talked about seven years ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No kidding. Um, I I also know it must have been the one of the most painful losses of your career was in the NCAA tournament as a two seed. You guys, many, many people thought you'd go to at least the final four and you'd lose to Norfolk State in the first round, although what people didn't know and maybe have forgotten since then was that Kyle O'Quinn, later went on to yeah. play for the Knicks, was yeah. on that Norfolk State team. Uh, oh, probably yeah. should have never been a 15 seed, but yeah, I um, agree with that. it's how those things go. I'm curious, though, having experienced that and then moving on as as a coach after after the NBA career, um, what have you learned from from that that loss in the NCAA tournament and what can you tell guys about the experience and how different that, that game is? Yeah. Um, all 68 of those teams, any one of those teams can win any one of those games. Um, the things that I really took away from that was, um, man, it, it is a painful thought. I mean, I, I think about it every day. I've thought about it every day since every day. March of 2012, every single day. Every single day I've thought about it. It's one of the hardest things I've ever went through and one of my biggest regrets in life is, is that n not winning that game. Um, I think we played 100 times. We win 99. Um, I was injured. Um, I'd never missed a practice or a game in my career. Um, I had a really bad quad injury that happened in the semifinals of the Big 12 championship and played. And I, I played terrible. I, mean, I was one first seven one for eight from the field, only at two points. Um, I think we lost by two. Um, but the biggest takeaway 
and you know moving forward in my career was never be disappointed in your seating never you know it's a it is a privilege to play in the NCAA tournament it's a privilege to get any seating 1 through 16 and we were really so focused on we thought we should we should be a one seed we knew that you know we we the second the 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 um, second weekend was in St. Louis now we there was a I think there might have been a a site in Kansas City I don't know we were just so focused on a one seed and we didn't get it. we got a two and I remember vividly us being disappointed at that and I'm not saying that played into the loss but there's no need for negativity or lack of concentration or focus with anything um, all your focus and concentration and energy needs to be on on winning that game and um, yeah and Kyle played great I mean obviously he's been a seven year NBA player he's um, he was drafted by the Magic and he's played with the Knicks and um, I don't think there should be an NBA player on a, any 15 seeds same year <laughs> Lehigh and CJ McCollum beat Duke um, so that's my other takeaway if I'm ever on a selection committee if <laughs> There's an NBA player, they're not going to be a 15 seed. Yes, and I know you know the the brackets as well as anyone. And in fact, in that Holly Rowe interview with you post game, uh, you made your your pitch. You you referenced that that yep. one seed. You made the pitch for for one seed. Brent Musburger was loving it. I can I can yeah. tell you that. Um, and uh, Bob Knight had a lot of praise for you calling that game as well. Last question, because I, I I know you have to go and uh, you're a busy guy, and I've really appreciated the conversation. You you play in the NBA for the Pistons, which uh, congratulations! You should always be congratulated on on reaching that. Uh, remarkable. Um, then spent time overseas. Then you go on to coach. I mean, it's only been a few years now, but under Frank Haith at Tulsa in 2015, your director of player development, you go two years as an assistant coach, and then move on to to Colorado now under under Tad Boyle, and. We're going to be hearing your name as the head coach pretty soon. I know, I know, uh, Coach Will doesn't want to hear that, but but um, certainly know that there's going to be schools calling for you. But I'm curious though for for those people that aren't as familiar with with Tad Boyle, just what are some of the things that you've learned from him at at, at Colorado? Uh, he is tremendous um, um, passion, and a, a better word is conviction. Um, his conviction and belief that here at the University of Colorado, we can win a national championship. We can be the best team in the country. We can attract the absolute best players. That that drives him in everything he does. It it helps him in recruiting. I mean, I've seen him close a deal with the recruit. I've seen him talk to donors. I've seen him us plan and prepare for games. Um, watched him coach in a game, his conviction takes him a long way. I mean, Tad Boyle will really, seriously, cannot understand why you would want to go to any of the Blue Bloods around the country and not come to Colorado. You know, that's how much he believes in this place. And um, that's huge. Um, I think whatever job you're at, you should try to find that in that place. If you do, um, I think it's remarkable the things that it can do for you as a coach, um, as a leader of young men, as a mentor, as a recruiter, 
as an evaluator, um, as a scouter for opponents. Um, his commitment to this place really fuels him, and um, he does a really good job. Well, Kim English, I usually uh, close out the podcast by by asking, you know, what uh, what kind of advice you could give to to young people that are aspiring to be coaches or or young coaches in the profession. And I don't even have to ask you that question because you sort of answered it throughout the whole thing. And I, I just want to thank you for the candor and I um, thank you for the conversation. It's been really, uh, really great to talk to you. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate you having me. Huge thanks to Kim English. Check him out on Twitter at EnglishScope24. You can reach me, Adam Stanko, on Twitter at NaismithLives, and you can get in touch with this podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. It's 40 Year Coach. We would love to hear from you. Also want to thank Sydney Smith, Mark Eisenberg, my wife, Caitlin Stanko, and Ari K. Ari edits the podcast. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. I can't tell you that enough. Do it right now. Don't waste any time. And while you're there, rate and review us. It'll help us out. Also wouldn't hurt if you could tell a friend who might enjoy what we're doing. That'll do it for this week. We'll catch you next time. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.